can you speak to like say one highlight or like one thing you really took away from working on Insecure? For me, man, to be honest with you, work ethic. I know that sounds so cliche, but working in, and I don't mean to sound corny or anything, but working alongside Princess, and not even just Princess, man. Um, I can say Issa. Uh, no, of course. A lot of writers on that show that are that are now that now have overalls and things like that. But work ethic is work ethic is something that people go their whole lives not realizing what you need. Um, being able to manage manage your time and have structure. Uh, some people don't mm. like to have structure. I do. Welcome to Josiah's Voice. This podcast connects you with both new storytellers and seasoned pros in black cinema. Plus, I share my own creative journey along the way. Here's to elevating the culture. All right, what's up, everybody? This is Josiah. I'm excited uh, to have a new guest for you today on the podcast. This guest and I met on uh, the final season, season five for the fans of uh, Insecure, created by by Issa Rae and Larry Wilmer. Um, show, uh, showrunner was Prentice Penny. And uh, this dude was just really cool, always willing to uh, talk about the industry, share stories, um, skill sets, and also just talk about what, you know, your favorite movies, what was going on in your life. Just a really cool soul. And uh, I just feel really blessed to, to have him on to share his journey uh, in the film in film industry as a screenwriter. And I think there are going to be a lot of gems you guys take away as you develop. Uh, all over the world as filmmakers. So uh, I want you guys to help me welcome Ed Long. Ed, welcome. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. And I'm so excited. I know you sent me a reminder text like, hey, you still, man, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm here, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's dive right on in, man. Um, Tell the folks uh, a little bit about uh, where you're from and uh, maybe some of your favorite TV shows and films growing up. Cool. Um, I am from Inglewood, California. Um, I've grown up everywhere in LA, really. So depending on who I speak with, I'll say South Central or I'll say Inglewood. Um, grew up, moved from city to city, growing up and everything. Um, some of my favorite, I'll start off with film. I'm really into film. Um, of course, I love TV shows, but some of the films or yeah, feature films that I loved growing up was Casino. Um, I love the original Halloween 1978 uh, film. Love that a lot. And I also love Menace of Society. I know that's one that you probably will never hear, but um, growing up in LA, I know a lot of people know Boys in the Hood and some people might know Minister Society, but what I love right, about right. Minister Society is it shows another side of Los Angeles. People don't know this, but Boys in the Hood is the west side of LA and Minister Society is the east side of LA. So I just love, love, it's a rated R movie, but I love, 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 love Minister Society so much because it really adapts and shows you what depicts from Los Angeles and like the gang culture and what goes on in LA. So those are those are some of mine. And I think my favorite genre is even though you didn't ask me, I think my favorite genre is horror. And that's why I chose Halloween, like one of the most classical, classical slashers ever. So I, I love it. man. Do you also have favorite any favorite TV shows growing up? Of course, a Fresh Prince was one. You know what? I really love Moesha, man. I love nice. Moesha growing up because Moesha, it took place in a lot of people from L.A. They like to say 
in Crenshaw, but that is incorrect. Um, it, it's called the Crenshaw District in, okay. in Lamar Park. So the fact that she went to Crenshaw High School and she actually, you know, the show took place in an area that I grew up in. And I loved it, man. I loved it. Show a, a, a teenager in high school growing up and, you know, going through the typical things that, you know, um, African-American women do, uh, go through growing up, following love, dealing with her parents. But Moesha was super dope, man. But I think Fresh Prince, the Cosbys, of course, Moesha. I feel like all the shows that we all as African-Americans, you know, grew up loving. I even love um, Gullah Gullah and I. Have you ever heard of that show before? I, I have. I didn't watch it. I didn't grow up with cable. So unless I was at a friend's okay. or a cousin's, it was a treat. But that was like, that was on Nick, right? Was that on Nickelodeon? Yep, yep, yep Nickelodeon. If you just say Nickelodeon, I was like, oh, he don't, he don't know this show. He don't know this show. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Gullah Gullah and Island, man, was on Nickelodeon. That was one of my favorite shows growing up, too, man. Love that show. That's one of those shows you watch on a rainy day. Oh, well, my, I, I got two siblings, so we always used to just play in the house all day and watch Gullah Gullah and Island, man. So those are some Damn. of the, the, the few that I enjoyed. That's awesome, man. So yeah. when did you know you wanted to be a writer and make films, in, including TV? We usually just think of movies when we say films. Of course. Well, it's, it's perfect that, well, even for me, because for a long time, I've always been into feature films. I didn't really begin to want to dabble in TV until later on. And um, when people ask me that question, when did you know you wanted to get into television and film? It's weird for me because I've been on the journey of finding myself for a long time. And like I said, sports was something that was very uh, detrimental to me. And mm -hmm. after high school, when I got into college, it's literally like you get to college and everyone needs to figure out, okay, what are you going to major in? You're going to be undecided. You're going to major in this. You're going to major in that. And um, I didn't ever want to be undecided because I felt like I wasn't uh, growing towards anything. But in college, uh, my major was kinesiology. You know, it deals with the body. Right. I played sports my whole life. So I was like, you know, I'll do that. And then one of the things I had to do was decide on which GEs I wanted to take. And my very first one was a GE called Plays and Players. It was a theatrical class. So every week, our professor made us go watch one play a week. And then we had to write an essay on it about what it is that you learn, um, mm -hmm. any of the characters and the arcs and everything. Um, and when I took that class, you know, I started to volunteer tier of, of acting and being in plays and things like that. And that's when I started to realize like, yo, you actually really enjoy this. So right before I um, got out of college or I stopped going to college, I began to do background work um, as an actor. So then after that, I started to do uh, commercials and do more commercials and get involved with short films. And that's when I started to realize like, yo, this is probably this is probably where you need to be at. This is like your love and where you honed in towards. And I started to write in college and that's where it took off, man. So I'll say around 2008, 2009, that's when I really started to dive deep. In. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a while ago, but it took me some time because I have no family members involved with television or film at all. My mom, dad worked nine to five jobs. So I didn't really know as far as that background and how to get into it and, mm -hmm. and learn how to become a PA and things like that. So, but yeah, around 2008, 2009. That GE was the was the class that really showed me, and you know, like this is this is what you want to get into. This is your love. And then when you discovered it, what was it about film and cinema and all of that that uh, that resonated so much? Can you put that into words at all? I got to start with character, man. Character development, just learning and reading scripts, and this will even go back to feature films that I told you that I enjoyed growing up, like Minister Society and Casino. Yeah, really diving in deep and, and learning about 
characters that related to myself. I don't know, everyone has their own thing about how they digest film and television, but for me, it takes me into a whole nother world. It takes me out of my reality and it takes me into, you know, whatever it is, the writer, director, whatever it is, the message that they're trying to come across. Um, it helped me be relatable to those characters that I love and enjoy. And I think plays, although I didn't, I didn't like plays before I got into my GE class, but that helped me really understand like a character's arc and what it is that they're trying to um, pick up from and grow until to the end of the story. And I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard, man. It's kind of really hard to really say what adapted me or ha had me really, really, really tap into feature films and what really make me adapt to what it is that I love about feature films, man. But I think character development and learning about a character going from um, a, their catalyst moment into going yeah. to the end. You know what I mean? So. No, for sure. No, I think that's that's perfect because there's so many aspects of it. You know, someone else might say they love world building or something like that, or right, they or they right. or they love costume or they love camera movement, you know, or whatever. So no, that that's great because that's you need characters, you need interesting people. Maybe not always likable, but you need right. interesting people to follow through a world who you feel like you can relate to regardless of their background or, or, but if you find an overlap or if they are just like you, like you referenced like Fresh Prince and Moesha and things like that, that were very mm -hmm. formative, especially for like African-Americans such as ourselves, like, no, that's powerful, man, because that, in my opinion, that never gets old. Man, listen, that reminds me, when you come back to Los Angeles, you need to take a day or two, go to the Writers Guild, and the Writers Guild Library. Yes, I knew what you were going to say. Go ahead. Because um, that's what I used to do on my time off. I would go there every day and write, and I would also read some of my favorite films. And any Scorsese film you sit down and write, just like you said, it's a big-ass book, and you just sit there, and you can visual even, be, even if you haven't seen all of his films, you can sit down and literally visualize everything from his shots to uh, the character dialogue. You, you visualize everything, man. You have yeah. to go. They okay. have some of the best scripts, uh, the best screenplays there ever. I've read really? Halloween there. I've, I've even read, uh, I've even read Doug's the cartoon. I've read Doug's, nice. um, I've read Doug's Bible. They give you the whole setup of the town. Like literally, you're literally creating a world. There's one thing of watching like Doug or any cartoon or any animated series, but sitting down and reading the Bible of literally the streets. Um, um, the civic center of it, it, in that work. It's crazy, man. They break down everything. And, and a lot of people probably don't know what Bibles are. But Tell the them. Bible was literally, the Bible is literally, let's say, for example, someone dropped you off in a desert and built a world. They literally tell you, they, they tell you from how this was created and to what this world consists of. They tell you the streets. They tell you the governors, they tell you the police officers, they tell you about breweries that are there, they tell you what's on the corner, they tell you about houses, home addresses, they literally tell you everything. They tell you the demographics from the age of literally everything, or even I'm thinking the sentence too. They, they give you a whole run of what this world is and how they develop it, how did this world work, who works a nine to five, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's the, the full term for all of you listening is, is typically show Bible. There might be other nicknames yeah, for it. That's what Ed's uh, describing right now. And that's, I love scripts. I think, cause I gotta be, I'm sure you have it too. Mm -hmm. I have a whole folder an ever expanding folder of just show Bibles, TV scripts, film scripts. And I think I love reading the Bibles more. Cause when I was coming up, we used to do character Bibles 
uh, our character bios. We used to describe cities and places. We used to talk about what their personalities were. And those things, for all of you listening, our show Bibles are chock full of those things to give you a sense, visual language for these characters, their origin. I've read the show Bible for Batman the Animated Series. That's one of my favorites. Um, Stranger Things, you can find that online uh, by the Duffer Brothers. I've read the show Bible for The Wire, uh, True Detective. I gotta stop you on the wire. That's another Go for one. It. That's another show Bible that I read, and I could not believe how much was created before they even dug deep into it. And before I forget, I want to say this. Please. When I when I when I when I first started to write, I thought that you had to have this story and then this character and what chips and soda they drink, and we can dive right into it. That ain't how it worked. Um, as a writer, I think people need to realize that you're going to write more backstory than it you're going to more you're going to write more backstory that people won't see that then they will see a lot of times when, when you read a screenplay yeah you're seeing the uh, character black 27 maybe six five funny right but there's so much more that goes behind a script like when i first read a show bible it opened my mind up so much more. I said, oh, I need to know a lot more. I need to know how this person walks. I need to know what they eat. If they're in love and they find out their girlfriend cheated on them, I need to find out. I need to know what it is that they'll do. Will they snap? How would they, how would they take this pressure? There's so much more. Like, what, kind of, what do they do when they wake up in the morning? Are they vegan? Are they not? There's just so much more that you need to know as far as the characters go in your world. How do you want it to look? How do you want it to feel? What is it that they want? Why do they want it? What's going to happen if they don't get it? You know, there's just so much more that you need to know before diving into it. And those show Bibles, man, they explain so much. And I think in The Wire, they went from the courtroom, who the judge was, who the yep. DA was, and the prince in the precinct. Then they went to the, the cities in Baltimore about what gangs they were, what drugs they sold, who their girlfriend was who their baby mom was and why they worked this corner why they wore this like they literally broke every single thing down word for word page for page it's amazing it's amazing the wire is probably one of the best ones best uh show bibles that i've read yes this far thus far yeah for sure probably the best one for me no for me as well that that's right up there i it i felt like i discovered buried treasure a few years ago i think i was like right at right out of college um Towson University, speaking of the, the Baltimore uh, area, actually, where the film or where the series takes place, for those who don't know. And I was just discovering like, no, yeah, you can find scripts online. You can build your personal library so you can study and learn. Oh, and by the way, they got the show Bibles that get more into the nitty gritty of the things you're saying, because I've heard, you know, novelists say like, yo, I wrote this whole bio for this professor character and I didn't even write that chapter. But I'm glad I knew it because it helped me write. It, it helped me figure out why this character in this novel or, or this television show or whatever. It helped me really. It, it's like my finger was on the pulse of their decision making of who they were, even though you didn't see certain flashbacks or, or whatever, because maybe there just wasn't time or the, the writer discovered maybe that that's ancillary or miscellaneous. It's not as important. But it just, 100%. to your point earlier, just it's a value to the writer to know those things and just to have like exercised that muscle. Um, in your That's opinion, great point, great point. 
in your opinion, is, is can you go too far with that never or, or not? Cool. You, you never can go too far because honestly, it's homework for you. And it helps you understand that character. You know what I mean? It really does. And another thing I want to say too is when writers get hired on shows, we're not watching everything. We're just not. So let's say, for example, you're staffed or you're, you're, you want to be staffed and someone reaches out to you like a showrunner and say, hey, we're doing... Let's say we're doing Stranger Things. Want to hire you for Stranger Things? Let's say you never watched Stranger Things. One of the first things they're going to send you, one of the, the assistants are going to send you a Bible so you can understand how a character blood flows, how the show is structured, the tracks that were laid, and why they think the way they do. So you can never have too much. Of course, someone might tell you, okay, um, can you send me over a show Bible? And for you, you'll say 10 pages might be enough, 15 pages might be enough, but I think it varies for whoever the writer is, you know what I mean? You're not gonna have a five page Bible for Stranger Things, you know what I mean? Fresh Prince, you might have six, seven, eight pages, but for something like even Game of Thrones, like, can you imagine how long that Bible is? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like there's yeah. so much to explain. There might be 10 pages on a dragon or something. You know what I mean? There's tons of things that you need to know. So before you go to a show, a Bible helps you understand and everything, why someone talks the way they do or walks the way they do or might make a conscious decision. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't think there can ever be too much. And what is end game for you before we go any further? I definitely want to, I want my own production company, but every day when I wake up or when I go to sleep at night, when I pray, writing and directing is the end goal for me. Um, it's something that I don't ever see myself retiring from. So writing and directing is my path, my journey, my end goal. But I, I mean, I would love to have a production company one day. I want to, I want to, I want to see what everybody's working on. I want to be able to purchase something. I want to be able to invest. Um, but it's interesting hearing the end goal because I see myself being 90, 95 years old and trying to visualize what it is that I want to do. I mean, I'm a businessman too. So I want to be invested in innovative companies. Um, there's, there's not one answer for me, man, because I feel like there's movies where you, or not even movies, there are people that we idolize out there that are doing a million different things. And when we see that, we want to do a million different things. But before we do that, we got to build foundation and building foundation first comes with love, doing something that you love to do and want to do. And money isn't the factor. Writing, directing is one of those things for me. But for me, I want to, I want to do tons of things, man. So when you say the end goal, I'm, I'm definitely an entrepreneur at heart. Back at it. So yeah, for, for me, for the end goal, man, it de definitely um, writing, producing, and directing. But I want to be involved with other creatives and, 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 and entrepreneurs, man. I want, to, I want to create something where I can give back in the community to people that grew up like me and didn't have people in their families that allowed them to reach out to different avenues because I didn't really have that, man. Like I said, I grew up with my, both of my parents worked a nine to five job and I thought that sports was it. You know what I mean? So I want to be able to reach back out and to reach out to people and let them know like, man, you can dive into film, television. You can dive into other creative or innovative spaces with the world of business, with investing and so forth, man. Cause I, I, I definitely, I don't know, it's, it's hard to answer that question, man. My, my, my end goal, man. But there's 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 tons I want to do with, with with television and film, and I definitely want to have my own company, uh, production company. So, no, no, that that's great, man. Do do you think there can be too many production companies? 
Yes to no. And I'll say yes, because obviously, especially right now, I feel like it's a bit oversaturated. Um, we can sit down with two or three people and say, hey, did you watch this? Did you watch that? Did you watch this? Did you hear so-and-so about this? So-and-so right. about this? Eventually, I think it'll die down. But I think each individual, depending on who you are, you're a creative, right? I'm a creative. Right. We both write. We both have ideas. Production company, I can create an entity and have my own production company. It's not like I'm creating a Netflix. You know what I mean? So I think it can be done. You know what I mean? I don't I don't think that there could be too many production companies. I think you can be a production company and I can too. We're just behind an entity. So uh, behind an entity of uh, tons of ideas. So in the grand scheme of thing, I don't think there would be tons of Netflixes and um, Pretty right. Birds and production companies like that on a, a bigger scale. But I think people will continue to have their own shows and production companies, you know, as we progress, because there's going to be tons more people that come into this industry and learn more about it. So nice. how, how do you feel? Do you feel like th there can be too many? No, maybe leaning more towards your answer, though. I, I can also elaborate and say um, I used to I had to just get more educated. I mm -hmm. used to think, yes, that there could be. Mm -hmm. But I didn't I wasn't as educated, especially, you know, it, there can't be too many, in my opinion, also for for black folk. We're seeing a major inf influx of, of that, because mm -hmm. when I got more educated, I realized every, you know, some are genre specific, you know, when they're looking for projects, some are better at development than others. Some um, are, are geared definitely toward, you know, black people, people of color, et cetera. Like the, everyone's got gifts. And they're trying to like spotlight and showcase certain people that may not be as represented or or they're trying to uh, resurrect something that they're like cinema needs this like we need it back or something like that. Right. And so the more experience I got on film sets, the more talks I went to, the more books I was reading and I began to hear people's answers where there was overlap even with the answers you gave of innovation of trying to handpick and assemble the right people i was like oh and i realized the reason i would have said no was because i wasn't as educated and i also thought and maybe i heard it along the way maybe i was hearing a little bit of hubris because you know it feels oh, good okay. it feels good to be like, oh yeah i'm gonna have a production company and this and that so i could have been picking up on that from a couple of select people here and there but then like i said on the flip side when i got more educated and maybe those few people needed the same education it's like it's not about you you know or at least it's not just about you you know you, your gifts and things are you know your leadership or whatever role you'll play is important but you got to showcase other other people you know as as you know we we look at you know hooray or or color creative or i hope i'm shouting out the you right are, right are, names you are, um, you are. They're all like, I, I guess I'm beating a dead horse. They're, they're, they're trying to, to prop up and propel the right people. So is that the right creatives find a home and we see the stories that we're kind of yearning for that we don't even know that right. we're looking for. 100%. And, and there's another production company too. Um, and, and this is, they're not black owned, but the films that I really enjoy and they take, and they have authenticity is a24 you know big um, fan myself yeah go for it i'm a really big fan man and in um moonlight moonlight is what really made me gravitate towards them you know um, mm -hmm. moonlight did a really great job and that's how i discovered who barry jenkins was 
um, and even mid nineties too. Like those stories are very compelling, right? Cause I can definitely um, compare my stories to theirs and it's really inspiring, but A24 does such a great job with handpicking. I have a good friend of mine, he went there for an interview. They wanted him for a few projects. And one of the first things they said was, just to let you know, we're not trying to purchase any ideas from you because we have all the ideas we need. We know when everything's coming out, we know exactly wow. what we want to do. Right. I, was, I said, I didn't know whether, I didn't know if he should have been offended by that or, <laughs> you know what I mean? I said, wow. Um, but when I heard that, I was like, you know what, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to have a catalog or a library with specific stories that I want to put out. And I don't want to have to have a specific timeline, but also want to also wanting to know that I have these in my arsenal uh, when this is going to come out and when that's going to come out. And I think they do a really great job. Like even, of course, Hooray, of course, of course, Color Creative. I look up to those companies. You know, mm-hmm. I, mean, I look up to Issa Rae and even Pr- Princess Penny. Mm-hmm. They do such a great job with what it, what it is that they're handpicking and choosing, you know, to bring out. But A24, man, they, they do such a great job. And, and I'll reference it again, Moonlight. I even have the, the book of the screenplay because I enjoyed it so much. And Barry Jenkins, I'm going on to a whole nother world. I should have mentioned Barry Jenkins back then, but no, go with, for um, it. what's, 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 uh, what's Barry Jenkins, um, if Bill Street could talk. Yeah, if Bill Street, yeah. Powerful, powerful film. Powerful film. Um, this is what I'll say for that. If if any of the listeners that are, if, if any of the listeners have not seen If Bill Street Could Talk, if you're writing a short film, if you're writing a feature, if you're shooting a short film, that film is a perfect 101 lesson on how to create a short film. Every scene in that movie is like a short film. I've never seen a movie, I've never seen a feature film take so much time in one scene and execute it. Mm. Films can't do that. You can't spend five or six minutes in a scene and not get bored, right? This film, right, amazing. From the dialogue to the visuals, everything in it, it's, it's amazing. And I always go back to that when I'm writing scenes because when I first began to write, I always tried to rush through a scene to get okay. to the next one because that was, my, that was my banger. My next scene was my banger. And I would always try to rush from this scene to that scene. That's not what it is. Every scene needs to matter. It needs, there needs to be something that, ha- that happens in here to get to, to push the character forward or the protagonist and the antagonist forward. So Barry Jenkins has done an amazing job and I always will reference him because he's somebody that I look up to as well. And he does an amazing job with his film. And, he, they, and he's, not, he's not coming out with things Monday and Friday. He literally right. takes time for the things he does. You know what I mean? He, he's, he's a creative and he really cares passionately about the film world and the film industry. So I, I, I love it. I don't know how I got to Barry, but. I'm glad you did. No, cause I've, I've <laughs> never heard anyone describe if Beale street could talk that way. So right. that's, that's right. super. I gotta, I gotta revisit it. I got the books on my library, you know, uh, uh, shout out to, uh, James Baldwin, uh, the late author, of course, I, not that late. It's been a while, but uh, he's still with us through his art, through his writings, through people reintroducing people or introducing them f- for the first time through film. Um, like if Beale Street mm-hmm. could talk, and I think um, I think HBO did. His, was it his book, uh, Native Son, or is that Richard Wright? I might have some of my writers confused, but I want to never... say it might be Richard Wright, but I, I don't want to be wrong because you can definitely Google and see. But I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. 
Yeah. Excuse us nerding out here, guys. Sometimes we get our stuff right. a little cross. But no, I, again, back to if Beale Street could talk and Barry, I've never heard anyone describe that that well. And I think as I'm listening to you talk and I'm replaying certain scenes back in my mind and how how long they last and how the camera moves and when things aren't said, I'm like, no, I think I feel exactly what Ed is saying. Now that I think about it, that's, I think people could really learn from that, man. When you have a chance, man, sit back and just, man, from the opening image, from the opening image of that film, amazing. It's amazing. Okay. Check it out, man. Look, I'm over here geeking out about that movie. Yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. Guys, I hope you're enjoying this. We're just going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with more film talk with Ed Long. Want longer episodes before everyone else? Excited for exclusive VIP content? Or maybe you'd just like to support the show? You're in luck. Josiah's voice on black filmmaking is now on Patreon. Become a member today at patreon.com slash Josiah's voice. This episode of Josiah's Voice Podcast is brought to you by Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural, smooth human voice. It won't be my voice, but no app is perfect, but this one's pretty close. Because for the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. You can follow any topic as specific as you like, from sports, science, to Bitcoin, or pop culture and movies. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And they have podcasts as well, exploring trending podcasts from over 50 countries. Like this one. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me. That's www.newsly.me. Or from the link in the description. And use my promo code. Josiah Voice. J-O-S-I-A-H Voice. I'll put that in the description for you. When you click it, you'll receive a one-month free premium subscription to Newsly. Stop scrolling. Start listening with Newsly. All right, so we're back, everybody, with, with Ed Long, just dropping gems for you writers and filmmakers out there. I loved the advice about going to the WGA office because I remember passing it every now and again on some of my jobs. I'd heard other people give that advice. So I hope all those under the sound of our voice, when you can, if you're local to LA or when you move out to LA, some of you are moving out to LA, in fact, you know, and traveling mercies to you. Um, I hope that you're able to make time to, to go to the WGA if you're writers or even if you're directors and producers, because you also got to be able to find material and take Ed up on his advice to study, you know, and, and get into the craft. Um, Ed, let's get into set life. Any highlights from your early days to now that, that we can get into? What, what, what's set life been like for you, brother? Oh, set life is crazy, man, because a lot of people assume it's like going to an amusement park because people aren't like, I'm just speaking for the average Joe, right? Right. Uh, it is not. <laughs> not always. <laughs> not always. Anyway, it is fun. It is, it is it is fun, but just, you know, to someone that's like, oh, I want to go to set because it's going to be so fun. It's fun. It has its times because you're on set for a minimum of 12 hours per day. I mean, some people might be there less. Some people might be there more. 
Yeah. And, ooh, when you're there more than 12 hours, it is crazy. But um, Comfortable shoes of, to all you future PA. Sorry to interrupt. Comfortable shoes. No, you're good. You're not, listen, that should have been the first thing I said. Comfortable shoes. Um, <laughs> we're work, Everybody's working on set. Um, a lot of the, uh, the bulk of being on set isn't always with the camera rolling. Uh, it takes time to set up those scenes, whether people know it or not. It could take an hour. It can take two hours, depending on who it is and depending on how that crew is and how everyone, how well everyone works well together. And of course, there's always hiccups with production because something might break, a camera might be break or something might be down or a generator or power. But um, being on set is very, very interesting because depending on who you are and why you're there, there's always a learning curve and there's different things to uh, learn about. You have producers on set, you have gaffers, you have the lighting crew, you have the camera crew, you got the DPs, you got the actors, the actresses, the hairdressers, uh, costumes, um, you got constructions, you got painters. Yes, there are painters on set. Yes, there are. If a room is blue and that director and his shot list and he didn't, he wasn't, he or the DP didn't have, or the lighting and the DP didn't have their lighting set up for blue, and they want it black or they want it red, a painter will come and repaint everything. But of course, we have tons of meetings. Yeah, they'll paint everything. And we have tons of meetings to make sure that things run as smoothly as they should. Um, but to go back to answer your question, um, being on set, man, I've seen a lot of things. But for me, I pay attention to the actors and the directors and the DP as well, just to see how shots are set up and what feel they're going for and what they're trying to uh, portray on that paper. Uh, people think that, and I'm just assuming, but I think people think that you have this 30 page script or this 40 page script and we go in there and say, hey, are we going to just shoot this? We're going to shoot that today. But no, we specifically will have, we'll start on page 29 on the first day. We right. shoot scene 25 and 26. So we specifically go from literally line to line and make sure that we get one line from every angle. But um, being on set is amazing, but at times it gets draining because we're there Monday through Friday or sometimes even on Saturdays trying to do 12 right. hours a day and knock things out. But, uh, but there's a lot to learn and we got catering on set. I tried yeah. to name all the different departments so people understand yeah. what it takes to get this done. But, uh, yeah. but it, it's great, it's great, but it can be draining sometimes because you're there all day long. You're literally there when the crack of dawn and then when the sun goes down. So, but it's, it's great. I don't know right. if I answered your question. But no, a little bit. I'm gonna go a little deeper. But before I okay. do that, you mentioned some terms throughout the episode so far. Can you rapidly define post, gaffer, and DP? Oh, post. So post, um, our post production, right? Mm -hmm. Our post production. Um, that's our editing team. Our post production. Sometimes they'll actually have our post producer on set to make sure that everything is being shot well, or if we have to have uh, our visual effects team on there too, because a lot of times, and I'll, I won't say what show this is, but we'll have our post-production producer there to make sure that certain shots we get, let's say for example, we shoot something and we thought it went well, but actually in actuality, they wanna make sure it's shot a certain way so we don't waste any time. Because a lot of times people will film things and it won't cut out to be what they thought it was in post. And it'll cost us a lot of money by having to rehire everyone that we filmed that day and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. So they wanna make sure we have visual effect, right, tons of money. They wanna make sure we have visual effects and our post team there to make sure that it's shot the way it should be so it can work out right in the editing bay. Um, our DP is our director of photography. They are the head of the camera team. 
they're the ones that know what lenses work, what make ways needs to be shot, what's lighting we need to get right. what it is that we're trying, the message that we're trying to convey for our characters. They control all of that. Yeah. Um, and then also our gaffers, like um, our gaffers and our lighting, we need certain camera angles to be set up correctly. And our gaffers, they make sure that everything is set up well when we're getting certain scenes together. Whether it's whether we're shooting aerial view of something or we're shooting something in a restroom, um, people think when we show certain scenes, like in a bathroom, that might not actually be a real like a real bathroom. It might right. be a set. So, um, Euphoria is a great example. Okay. When we're in a bedroom, we might watch Rue and we might um, we might watch her laying down while she's like high off of, or whatever drug it is that she uses, but when we're in a room, there's certain certain angles that you can't get in a uh, actual real room. So we have to build certain things and gaffers make sure that everything is aligned greatly with the DP and the director to make sure we're getting everything we need to. There's times when Rue's laying down in the bed and we have to, they have to visually go up into the ceiling. They're going outside of a box, which right. isn't really a room. You know what I mean? To get yeah. certain shots off. So if you're shooting a short film and you think that that regular room is going to work for the shots you're getting, it's not. <laughs> yeah i hope That's, i answered your question yeah I, I go off the wing. no no okay. you're good no that was great just nice little recap like a little bit of education for for everyone um well let's put it back to you how did that lead into being a showrunner's assistant for prentice prentice penny on insecure well when you let's say and I'm trying, I don't want to try to make the analogy with different things in sports, but <laughs> when you know, when you know what it is you want to do, you can there's kind of a blueprint, right? And I, and I don't want to make it seem like there is an actual blueprint to becoming a writer because you can wake up today and write the best script and meet someone and you can get hired as a writer. I mean, yeah, sure. You need a lot of luck and a lot of blessings for something like that to happen, but there is a blueprint. And that's why I started out with saying production assistant, but I knew that I eventually had to become a writer's PA or wanted to because you want to get in the room, you want to learn yep. and see what it is it takes to become a writer. And I was a writer's PA before uh, becoming a showrunner assistant, but there's this blueprint and things or, or positions that you want to come across so that you can, you know, uh, craft, you know, craft your art and sharpen your tools. I always knew I wanted to do showrunner's assistant and or writer's assistant, if not both. Uh, so while I was on Insecure, I got the opportunity to become a script clearance coordinator. No, yes, clearance coordinator, clearance coordinator, not script clearance, but clearance coordinator. So I knew once I became a clearance coordinator, I knew it brought me closer to the writers. So a good friend of mine was Prentice's assistant. And like any other job, you're waiting for somebody to leave so you can be that next person up. So he eventually got my, my good friend, he got he eventually got promoted to writer's assistant and Prentice was looking for a showrunner's assistant. That's awesome. And of course, right. And of course, when you're in this position and you want to hire an assistant, you want to make sure that they have the experience because whenever they need anything, you want to make sure that you know and you don't have to ask. So before I even became uh, Prentice's assistant, I've had my experience with on multiple shows as a production assistant. Mm -hmm. I was a writer's production assistant for writers nice, and I've nice. also did clearances, right? So I, I knew certain things that they needed in script and we can get into that another time. But when he offered the job, or he didn't offer me the job, but when he, uh, when my name came up, he gave me an interview and, you know, I had so much experience with uh, 
with working with writers and working in the production office and knowing what every position was and um, one-liners and day out of days and call sheet. These are all things people might not know because you have to be in the office to know those things. But I knew about all those things because he's a writer and also a director and a showrunner. So he's going to need all those things. So I interviewed, he interviewed a few people and he's like, you know, I'll give you an answer tomorrow. And of course I didn't sleep that well because I wasn't sure if I got it or not. <laughs> right. I, I up, right. But uh, I ended up selling myself, man, because I, I've had the experience and I knew what it was that he's looking for. And I ended up getting it the next day. First thing in the morning when I woke up like seven, seven thirty, got the answer. And that's how I got there. But really going back to being a production assistant, you're doing a lot of leg work, man. You, you're on the ground, you, you're grinding. And I've always, I was always positive because I knew where I needed to get to or where I wanted to go. So that's how it led me to becoming a showrunner's assistant and being able to work hand in hand with, uh, with printing. So. That's awesome, man. You just all that overlap over the years of being a production assistant, be, becoming a writer's assistant, uh, writer's PA. Um, what, what was because you are a writer at heart also. What was it just to go back super briefly? What was it like mm -hmm. when you were able to make a transition from production assistant to write to getting in the writer's room? Um, I'll go back to writer's production assistant because yeah yeah sorry that's what i mean yeah if you want to no it's all good it, listen for a long time i thought writer's assistant and writer's production assistant was the same thing and when, I became a writer's, when i became a writer's production assistant people were like oh what do you do i was like oh i work on men in the high castle as a writer's assistant and i'm like someone was like you're a writer's assistant and i'm like oh no it's two different things gotcha um, so i so i so as a production assistant i had a good friend that worked on men in the high castle i don't know if you ever watched that show before but it's about uh, I'm familiar though, but go ahead. Yeah, so, go ahead. it's on Amazon. I, I've worked in that show, and it's about alternative, uh, alternative history right. in World War II. Right. So, I got on that show as a writer's PA, and that's when the writers' room I started to really dive deep into because the showrunners allowed me to be in the room anytime I wanted to. So I learned about wow. the process it was to create story, to uh, to develop characters and character arcs, and laying the tracks. So when I got in there, I'm like, okay, I ain't going back. I know, like, I like this. I know where I'm at. And that set me up really nice for being a showrunner's assistant because I knew about being on, I knew about being in production and I knew about being in the room. I got a taste of it. Yeah. So um, I think writer's PA and writer's assistant confused me again. So production assistant sets you up for everything because you get to know all the positions. Now, going for a writer's production assistant, a writer's production assistant, it feels like a lot of weight taken off your shoulders because as a production assistant, you are responsible for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, in that production office, we set up shop for writers. We set up shop for directors. We set up shop for uh, um, assistant directors. And those are all the people you're getting lunches for. But when you go to the writer's room as a writer's production assistant, you're only responsible for those writers and the showrunners. And of course, you know, the assistants, like the, uh, the writer's assistants and all the, the showrunner, mm -hmm. all that. So it's much, this, the scale is narrowed down so much more. It's like, okay, I'm only getting lunches for six, seven writers. This is easy. I was getting lunches for 20 people in the production office. So exactly being in, right. Being in there, I felt like an all-star, like, okay, I, I'll learn all your orders and coffees that you want every day easily. Um, but being, being able to do that and have all that weight taken off your shoulder, you can actually lock in and learn what it is that the writers does. So going from writer's production assistant to 
a showrunner's assistant is even better because now you're responsible for one person. But at the same time, that one person is busier than 10 people combined. Say that. Showrunner, right? Because for a showrunner, when we're getting into production and we're about to ramp up to start to film, they want showrunners into concept meetings. They want showrunners in tone meetings. They want showrunners in costume meetings. They want them in hair and dressing because they want their opinion because no one knows a show more than a showrunner. Mm-hmm. The title was showrunner. They're running that show. So for me, it did become a challenge. Although I was only responsible for getting a lunch for one person, I was also responsible for things that were going on in their personal life. And also everyone that needed to get in contact with the showrunner needed to go through me first. Gotcha. Because they're busy doing something. So if you want him, him or her there at this time, I need to let you know it needs to be this time. And if you want to, him to be here, it needs to be this time. So being organized and being in charge of someone's schedule can be tremendously like it, it, it be detrimental to them and my schedule because we have to make sure that if they're married, they have kids or whatever it is they got going on in their personal life isn't overlapping what it is that they're doing at work. You know what I mean? And you're responsible yeah. for whatever it is that's in that calendar. If something got changed out and canceled, you need to update that. So and then going into writers, uh, going from showrunner's assistant to writer's assistant, you are responsible for keep as a writer's assistant. You are responsible for keeping track of everything that is said in that room. Um, let's say you are a writer in the room. If we are having discuss, if we're having a discussion amongst all the writers and we're coming up with ideas and blue skies and jokes and pitches, at the end of the day, if you want to revisit what was said, you're gonna go back and read my notes of what I've took that day. And it's like you're a scribe. Yeah. They don't want you to get everything, but you need to get everything. You need to get the meat of everything, you need to get the jokes, you need to get the and if and let's say a writer missed it, missed um, being in the room that day. You want someone that wasn't in the room to understand the feel of what was going on that day. You know what right. I mean? If we're talking about a relationship and we're talking about if we're ta- if we're doing something with like Issa and Lawrence and we're trying to see how an argument will go. We're discussing about a time that I had in my past when I got my heart broken or when someone cheated on me or I cheated on someone. We want to get all those things and we want to make sure that we're documenting all the colors that are going on to that artboard or that canvas that day. So as a writer's assistant, that is your focus of making sure that you're keeping up with laying the track, with what dialogue is being said and what blue skies are being painted on in that room that day. So every position from production assistant to writer's production assistant, <clears throat> excuse me, to showrunner's assistant, to writer's assistant, they all have their jobs, but I think they're all hand in hand because it helps you from each step of the way, get to where you're going. In my personal opinion, people that have been through all those positions become uh, become better producers because you understand everyone's position and you understand what it takes to become a better producer, a better showrunner. Or mm-hmm. even if you need to hire a PA, you know what it's going to take. You know what I mean? Yeah. And everything along the way has helped me, I promise you, from production assistant, writers, uh, writers, producers, I mean, writers, production assistant to showrunner to writer's assistant. It's helped me every single way. And I, I think sometimes people get so caught up in the work and how they want to get to where they're going, but you need to be in the moment and realize that as long as you stay consistent, you work hard and you learn, you're going to get to where you're going. Don't rush, be patient, 
and everything that you learn every day is going to help you. I promise. I sat in on a, it wasn't a workshop, but um, King Barris spoke at USC years ago mm-hmm. and he spoke about how he is grateful that he started out as a writer's PA. I mean, he started out as a production assistant and became a writer's PA and a writer's assistant. He said, because it helped him respect each job and learn what it is to be a great showrunner. Right. So I think whatever position it is, even if you're not where you want to be, cup needs to be half full, not half empty, and just take in every single thing because everything you're learning, you're going to use it one day. Promise you. That's so, great. But yeah, that's that's everything that I've, I've learned from you. Yeah. Wow. I, no, hope that... I, I hope I answered that right. No, no. Y- yes, yeah. you, <laughs> yes, you did. And, and then some. <laughs> and then some. Can you speak to like, say, one highlight or like one thing you really took away from working on Insecure alongside Prentice, especially with the it's the season fin- or is really the series finale. So the, mm-hmm. the stakes are, are even higher. Is there anything you can speak to highlight wise of just what that experience was like and what you took away from it? Um, you know what? While you were asking the question, I was trying to take reach for that answer um for me man to be honest with you work ethic uh i know that sounds so cliche but working in and i don't mean to sound corny or anything but working alongside princess and not even just princess man um i can say isa uh no of course a lot of writers on that show that are that are now that now have overalls and things like that but work ethic is work ethic is something that people go their whole lives not realizing what you need. Um, Being able to manage your time and have structure. Uh, Some people don't Mm. like to have structure. I do. But out of all my shows, and I think even moving forward that this show and the the team, the writers, printers, the the work ethic that I've seen, because to be honest with you, man, this last season, people were drained. People, there was so much. Listen, okay. when, when you're doing a finale, especially for a season like or a show like this, and how much pressure is put on that right. everyone put on themselves because they want to. It's when you're a creative, you want to. Let's say, for example, you have an idea. When you're writing that script, and I don't mean to speak for you, but whatever is the Wherever, wherever that story, wherever the origin of that story came from, you want to try your best to get that out on the script the best way you can. You right. might write something and read it and say, that's not what I was trying to, that's not what I was trying to convey, right? So yeah. that stress of the finale was something that was draining for everyone because they wanted it to be perfect. But to see how everyone managed their time and working 13, 14 hours and then getting off and have to rewrite something and then tend into a family and family emergency because people have family emergencies they always right. do you're working with hundreds and thousands of people so just the work ethic man and seeing how people are consistent in getting from a to b to c and i mean in story and in the real life and on set because we had time every times we had on set to where we worked 12 hours and ended up having to stay later to make sure that we got every shot that there was we needed to get right but just to go back to work ethic though man like Sometimes you're tired, but you got to you got to pick you got to pick it up, man. You got to pick it up and get that second win and, and, and get it going because that's where your best work is going to come from. 
and I took that, I took that and intertwined that in with my work life and my personal life at home. Because sometimes you have to dig deep, man, and just not get through it, you know, get that second yeah. win and, and work through whatever it is, whatever challenges it is, man. And like you said, things happen. You know what I mean, things happen day to day and you yeah. got to still be able to get through it. You know what I mean? So that's what yeah, work, work ethic is number one, man. Work ethic yeah. number one. No, that's, yeah, that's they, great. They, they work hard. Love that, man. How has this affected your writing? Is there one positive effect that you're like, yo, until I was working on Insecure or, or, or Grownish, I didn't know that. Now it's as if I've always known it when I go pen to paper or fingers to keys. You know what? Insecure was the very first show where, where it actually heightened my writing because every single word that I put in dialogue or on that paper, I'm asking myself, why are they saying this? Like if someone's going to go get ice cream, if someone says, I hate you, someone says, I love you, why are they saying this? And what is this leading to? Even in our room, we, when we, and even in the grown-ups room, when we, when a writer has a script or they write a script and we sit down and we tear it apart, we don't really tear it apart, but we're, you know, we're reconstructing. We go line for line, right? Uh, this sentence might make sense, but this is not where we're trying to get. So before I got on Insecure or even Grownish, like sometimes you write a lot of, well, for me, I write a lot of gibberish because I'm trying to get to this, but anything you say means something. Every word you put on that, in, in that dialogue and on that, on that script, everything means something. And I've learned, learned that on Insecure. They don't just throw out words, man. Everything means something from, whether it's from uh, Issa, whether it's from Jay, whether it's from anyone on the show, like everything they say in that dialogue means something. So when I sit down and write something, I want to understand where they're coming from and why they're saying this and what, what, what is it? What are we getting to in the next scene? You know what I mean? So that's what helped me a lot. And a character arc and what they did from episode one and episode five might be completely different because they changed. You know what I mean? So that helped me be able to add color to whatever script it is, whatever, whatever feature film, whatever TV show it is for each character and where they're going. It helped me really sit down and analyze and digest what it is that I'm trying to convey on that paper. So that, that's really what helped me on Insecure. Insecure, man, in that room, they do not play. If a census ain't right, it ain't right because that, that ain't how they feeling. You know what I mean? So yeah. That's yeah, beautiful, man. man. Yo, I, I really, really love that, man. Like, what are, again, mm -hmm. some of the things that you really like to write and or are writing now without giving anything away? You I'm know? a drama writer. I, I, I write drama. I'm actually, I'm actually really loving comedies. Well, I'll put it like this. I, I, I started out as a drama writer and I've worked on comedy shows. But I think for me, the, the, the fine point for me would be dramedies. Um, really love Atlanta. Gotcha. So yeah. if I, if I have an example, something in that, you know. This it, season, it, it, my bad. This, let me inter oh, this season. This season right now, at the time of us recording this, no holds barred on Atlanta. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. Let me give you the mic back. Right, yes. right. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, but yeah, man, I, drama is something that I've always loved to write but I'm leaning towards getting more into comedy as well. But so dramedy will definitely be the fine line for me, man. And like I said, early on, when we first begun the, the interview, I'm really into feature films. 
So eventually, like, of course, I want to write in television, but eventually, going back to the end goal for you, I eventually want to only write feature films, hopefully. Love it. Feature films, man, they just, they, they're very therapeutic to me, right? And I love sitting okay. down for an hour and a half or two hours and yeah. going into another world and me seeing the finish line. Yeah. And going on to the next. You know what I mean? Like, I, of course, I love uh, watching TV shows and seeing season two, season three, season four, but I love to sit down and watch a great feature film and, you know, have an end goal after sitting down and watching that. You know what I mean? And I yeah. think about, it's funny, I think about, uh, I don't know if you ever watched this movie called, um, well, now I'm drawing a blank, uh, No Country for Old Men. <sighs> one you know, of my all time favorites. Yeah, man. That's one of my favorites, too. I didn't mention that because, we got casino and Halloween and all that, but right. No Country for Old Man is, yes. is one of my favorites. It's great storytelling. It's a neo western. It's it's amazing, man. And I'm glad you watched it because I gotta explain myself. <sighs> when did you know you could write? And follow up to that, can you speak to developing your voice as a writer or developing? It's funny because I'm obviously. I'm still developing and still honing my craft every Likewise. single day. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you ask me that because I think, and I say I think because, like I said, I'm still improving. When I work, when I wrote my first sample, and like we all do, we send it to people to you know to get some coverage and get notes. Um, something that happened dear to my heart in my life with uh with my brother pen pen and paper man i I spoke from the heart and when two people that i read it and respected opinions from them when they when they read it and told me that it was great that's when i realized that authenticity matters for me and even writing the genre of drama that's when i realized like okay i think I think I can go a little further with this. And I think I got something here because the first script that I've ever written was like, one was a TV show, one was a feature, one was 30 pages, one was like 120 pages. They were all trash. They were not good. And I say that because I didn't have any structure. I just wanted to see good scenes, right? Uh, when I, and I just answered that, didn't even try to answer. When I learned structure, just like in my life, when, when, you, when you have yeah. structure, it helps you get to that end goal. Okay. When I started to sit in on these rooms and knowing that you actually had to have a problem and you had to get to an end goal, you had to start at, at the beginning of the bridge and somehow get across with obstacles. When I started to learn structure and put it together, that's when I learned that I knew how to write. So that's my answer mm-hmm. <laughs> when I started to learn structure because structure, just like in life, even for me, like I'm, I like have OCD. Like I need to wake up in the morning. I need to work out. I need to have an agenda, knowing what I'm doing. I need to eat at this time. I need to work out, I need to do this and do that. When I have structure, it allows me to be able to fit these things in a box and know that I'm going from here to here and this is my end goal. So when I learned structure is when I realized that I, I knew what I was doing. Right. That reminds me, do you have a writing routine? Um, it changes when I'm on shows. Gotcha. So for example, let's say for example, I'm, I'm on hiatus and I just finished the show. So let's say for example, my show is over. Let's say Gronish ends in July and I have like the next month free. When I get up and work out, I like to make sure that I'm writing in the morning from like 10 to 12. I'll take a break and then I'll write some more from like two to three or two to four. But when I'm on a show and like when the wheels start turning and we're like in full 
we're full fledged in production, like now, I try, try to write at nighttime between eight and 10. Nice. And sometimes it might not even be writing, it might be reading. Yeah. And when I say reading, I'm including podcasts, I'm including books, or I'm on YouTube watching content, but like really honing in because I like to watch a lot of weird things on YouTube. And when I say weird, I'm talking about like how a gorilla might, you know, function and like just a lot of weird yeah, yeah. stuff. Like I just, I just love, I love nature and all kinds of things. But right now I make sure that I have a daily reminder every day on my calendar that, that I'm doing something like reading or writing from eight to 10, because that's all the time that I have during the week. And on the weekends, I try and set a time aside as well. But if I'm not on the show or anything, I like to write in the mornings and in the afternoons, uh, you know, to make, make sure I'm, you know, having some type of uh, progress going and staying uh, fluent with everything that's going on. So it changes though. It changes. Okay. Love but it. Power hour is one thing that I always try to make sure that I do make sure that at least one hour a day I'm reading, writing in case I have a busy day. Yeah. I, I need at least one hour. Two would be great. Three is even better. Four is, you know what I mean? So yeah. 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 Bro, I think that's a good place to to go ahead and and bring it home. Um, this has been it's been a blessing to catch up with you, to be able to to record this for for people who who are coming up, um, and finding their voice as writers and as as filmmakers the world over, bro. Um, and of course, especially uh, in the states, those making their way to LA and the different um, cinematic hubs and whatnot. You know, where can people uh, keep up with you? And uh, to ask you a question about where people can find me, I don't, I'm not big on social media. I do have them Instagram. It's my name, Ed Long Jr., Ed underscore Long Jr. on Instagram. And also on Twitter, it's the same thing, Ed underscore Long Jr. You can find me cool. on any of those social medias and DM me any questions you might have. Um, if I don't have the answers, I'll get it. I'll seek it and get some answers for you. But um, yeah, I'll get them. I don't have all of them, though. So I hope I'm answering all the questions, you know, to, 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 to what you expected me to. And I'm just excited to be on the podcast, man. I'm a, I'm a big supporter of podcasts, especially yours. You're doing a great job. I've listened to some of them and you, you've been knocking it out the park, man. And I loved how you moved from here to, to Africa and you, you killing it. You stand, you stand in tune with yourself, you stand creative and doing the research and, you know, going out here and seeking the right people to, to, to get the message across, man. And I got so much respect. I've been excited to even to, 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 for this day to even happen. So I really appreciate you, man. I really do. I free Ed. I, I really, I really appreciate that, man. Thank you for for the support, um, guys. All the time on set, I would hear Ed say what he just said. Hey, I don't have all the answers, but I, I'll figure out where to get them. You know, I paraphrase just then, but I, like he he stands by that, and it was just it was a major blessing. Like there would be times we'd be on set, and I'd have a question, and I'm like, man, I, dude, I'm busy. Like so, I know Ed is busy. You know, and Ed, you know, be answering emails, doing his thing. But I'd be like, you know, hey, you got can you spare five minutes. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, man, let's here. Here, let me let me shoot this email off. Let's meet over here by Crafty or, or something like that. And you would just tell stories. You would give a way in where you thought that you could, um, whether it was one on one or whether it was just a bunch of PAs in a circle, just chopping it up about film, about life. And um, I'm just so glad that there are so many filmmakers with that quality who are trying to maintain that, you know, as Hitchcock said, you know, like it takes an army, but it's like the term army buddy also exists for a reason. Cause there's some friendship there. It can't just all be business. 
all the time. And but at the same time, you, you got to be disciplined. Like you said, you know, there's a time and place. And I'm just glad that you're able to carve out time to be on here and uh, just share with the listeners your experience um, so that, you know, they can go on to be even better filmmakers and, and showrunners and things like that. And um, everybody follow follow Ed, you know, um, and just ask him ask him questions whenever whenever you can follow what he's talking about on Twitter, uh, especially. And um, I really hope that all of you who listen to this were, were blessed by by this episode and that uh, you just feel a little bit better equipped and motivated to just tell the stories that you you know only you can tell. So until okay. next time, guys, again, this has been Ed Long Jr. Ed, thank you again for being on, brother. Uh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, Talk to you guys later, guys. Peace out. If you enjoyed that episode, I invite you to subscribe on your favorite listening app. To keep up with the show, you can follow me on Twitter at JosiahDOCX and on Instagram at Josiah's Voice Pod. And if you like my theme music, it's called Brewer B by Mateo. The link is in the description. Thanks again and talk to you later.